Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13 of the Combat Chain Podcast. I am your host, Adam Philipchuk, alongside, as always, Pat Shaw. And today we've got a a special guest with us. He is uh, fairly well known in the community. He is a ProQuest champion, a host of his own podcast. Man, the accolades go on and on. But without uh, rambling on, I'll introduce uh, Matt DeMarco, a.k.a. Flake. Uh, Welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I appreciate it. Again, uh, accolades and such, I mean, a lot of it is just me being around. So I don't think that that a lot of it is not necessarily achievement as much as it is uh, just being around <laughs> so i'm okay with that though that is just perfectly fine with me hey you know what even if you're just around at the you know you're just the guy who's in the right place at the right time uh you certainly picked the right time to be in the right place you're uh you're on a hell of a ride man it's not bad i'm not gonna lie like a lot of things have um have come to fruition um i've always been a proponent of of the fact that hard work does in fact pay off and sometimes it's it's there's a lot of peaks and valleys with things but ultimately if you just keep chugging things will will you know they they will turn up if you do things the right way and you work hard you know you will get rewarded and i mean part of it is just the fact that you know this isn't this isn't sort of a a a short story as it were uh a lot of this is sort of many many years in the making of uh where i am now versus where i began and and that's kind of, uh, at least from you know, from a broadcast perspective, or even from a card game perspective, it's 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 been a long trek, but I'm glad to be where I'm at. Fair enough. Well, you're the example that hard work does pay off, and I think you're what a lot of us can strive to aspire to, and what a lot of us I think hope to achieve is kind of what you you've got going on right now. Uh, and I guess that's just a reminder then to people that if you put in the work, good things do follow. Before we get too far off, Pat, how are you today? I am uh I am a broken down car running on rims right now with my voice. So I am I am hanging in there. Uh won't won't be a ton of uh run on sentences for me today. So uh I'm just happy to have Matt on and uh dive into some calling Indianapolis recapping. No, fair enough. I uh I do have to say with the with with the the voice a few octaves lower right now, you almost sound like what's that? Oh yeah, song like. <laughs> oh, oh man, oh yeah, there it is. Boom, boom. <laughs> that's like uh that sounds like a isn't that from like the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack? I think it, that's it's like that Ferris, era. Ferris Bueller's Day. Ferris Bueller's Day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. I'm so silly me. Yeah, that's the one for sure. I know you're better than that. I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just missing. I'm missing decades. That's an '80s, right? Like that's from the '80s. The yeah, '90s oh. is definitely my jam. I was born in the '80s, but the '90s was where I cut my teeth. I was say, am I dating myself a little bit? I'm in '86. I got born. I was born in '86. Same. I '86. Right. January. Right. January yeah. in '86. I hey, might be really. All yeah. Right. Uh, now, are we going to go down the route of who's older here? So, oh, man, I'm I'm the 17th. I don't know about you. 25th. 
Ooh, you elder old, statesman. You old man, you. Unless, Adam, what, where are you sitting at? Uh, I'm November of 91. You guys got me beat. Get out of town. Yeah, all right, no problem. The adults are talking, so yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, I'll just we'll sit get back over here to quietly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, no one gets away from the origin story. How did... Who are you, Flake? And how did how did you get here right now? Who are you? And how did you get here? That's usually a lot of what I heard, you know, attending parties in high school, frankly. <laughs> so, who are you and how did you get here? Well, um, there are, there are I guess there's there's multiple avenues that we can discuss. I mean, are you talking about where I got here as as like a caster for flesh, flesh and blood or more so like from the, are you talking about more from like the competitive aspect of card gaming or are you talking more so about the 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 broadcast aspect i'm i'm interested in knowing how you uh how you got into the hobbies that inspired you to get into broadcasting and sure then competitive okay so um it, it all began back in a long time ago mm-hmm. galaxy not so far away Yes. I'm right. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. So I warned you guys that I was going to get a uh, a delivery. There so it is. There, there it is. is. Yes. This is some excellent, um, excellent content for the show. But uh, as we as we just kind of let the delivery guy up to the the thing, he will knock eventually, and I will have to essentially sign for a package. But we have about ten seconds before he gets up to here to to the floor I'm on. Uh, it, it began many, many moons ago. Uh, I was, I believe, like 12 years old or 13 years old, and I got my hands on Decipher Star Wars cards, and not necessarily from a perspective of, like, I want to play Star Wars cards. It was just I love Star Wars, and I like cards, and I had seen other card games develop in the, the craze of, like, Pokemon cards, etc. But Star Wars, to me, was, I'm like, damn, like Pokemon is so juvenile. Meanwhile, I'm, like, 12 or 13 years old, so who am I to speak? But... I got my hands on a few of those, and at the time, Star Wars was um, widely regarded as... Hold on a second. I got the door. I'll be right back. Hell yes. God bless medication through the mail. It's the best thing ever. Sorry about that. Uh, should, I, should I take it from the top, or do you want me to continue onward? No, continue onward. I'm uh, just happy I was... you got your blood diamonds. <laughs> they're they're all here. Yes, my pile of stalagmites because people are going to know that these are very good. Um, <laughs> all right, so essentially what occurred is that at the time people regarded Star Wars CCG by Decipher as the most complex card game ever. And this was in contrast to Magic and everything else that existed at the time. And if you dive into the game now, even with all the developments that have occurred with all the different card games, it is still probably the most complex and rule-heavy kind of micromanagement type of game uh, that has ever existed. And, and to me, it was like learning the rules of that. I'm like, if I learned that when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I can basically learn everything. I wasn't good at it by any means, but the, everything else from that point onward felt like a breeze. And uh, that game led to, like, uh, Lord of the Rings TCG, and I got into that again. All these games by Decipher, which is now defunct, but it is probably the best ever card game company that has ever existed. The current existing best card game company that ever exists, I would imagine, is Legend Story Studios, but the rules for those games (laughs) were incredible. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I got to make sure that I still have a job down the line. But uh, ultimately... Those two card games were not your typical two life totals type of card games. They were very different in terms of rule sets, winning conditions, how the game was developed, etc. They felt 
true to the source material. Star Wars felt like Star Wars. And Lord of the Rings felt like a fellowship going through the perils of getting from the Shire to Mordor. Like, that was legit what it was. Um, I love card games, and that really enthralled me into it. But those games eventually went defunct. They stopped making cards, and I kind of gave up cards because I had nothing else until somebody many moons ago introduced me to hearthstone when it was i think in in open beta or it had just released or something and i gave that a shot and i said wow you could really play cards by yourself on the toilet like what kind of world do we live in this is technology is amazing like the future is in now. terms of it is it, it was basically like sliced bread moon landing cards on the toilet that was the tier list of the greatest achievements ever in history um that led into just you kind of, I don't say you spin your tires in that game, but you play that so much that eventually you expand to other card games and look at other stuff, and that turned into a reintroduction to Magic, because Magic would cross my path early on. And um, and then Hearthstone led to Gwent, and Gwent led to more and more and more and more and more and more Gwent. And that uh, led to a broadcasting career, which led to getting interested in Flesh and Blood as something different than than Magic, but... Uh, another one of those life total style games and I fell in love with this game. It was introduced to me by a gentleman by the name of Lewis Woodhouse, I believe his name is. Oh my god, I'm, it is Lewis Woodhouse. <laughs> Why am I? Anyways, Lewis, his name is Woody. We call him Woody. Woody. Woody got me into the game haphazardly and it has basically encapsulated my entire life ever since. I still play a lot of Gwent. I played a lot of Gwent today. I played several hours of Gwent today. Uh, but those, those are, are my passions. Card gaming is what i wanted to do i've gone through so many different careers i was um i mean i did some i did some stand-up comedy for a while i did um i worked as an intern at a sports radio station sports journalism was something that i was high up on my to-do list uh, i was editive flair bartender for four or five years oh wow uh yeah it was there was a lot of all things right, but all right. uh but but ultimately it all came down to the fact that i just liked performing i liked being um, being uh, a performer and and just you know entertaining people was the focal point of what I love to do. So when I moved to Toronto from Montreal to have one of those you know wonderful and awe inspiring desk jobs at a big corporation after I graduated, I was like, this is not gonna, this ain't gonna sustain me. So I I I really just I, I worked hard. I would do the nine to five thing. I'd come home. Around six o'clock, I'd eat for half an hour, relax, and then I'd be streaming from like seven o'clock to ten p.m. every single day, every single day, every single day. I did that for many years until I basically got a kick at a can at the can to you know have an audition at a uh, a shot at being a caster for for Gwen's Master Series, and it's sort of that's where it all all kind of took off. Was my first big opportunity was from CDPR and the the great people there. So I owe them. A lot of my career is the fact that they they saw me and they they gave me a chance. They I don't want to say they rolled the dice. I was confident that I could do it, but they were the ones who were like, "All right, you know what? We're gonna let you. We're gonna give you a chance, but we're also gonna let you flourish with your personality. We're gonna let you be you, whereas everyone else, uh, you know, not that they weren't like that with everybody else, but I mean, there were situations where I was sort of reined in." in various different capacities to say okay you gotta you gotta abide by these rules you gotta be rigid and follow you know follow within the, this framework like we get it you love star wars but just stick to the plan you know so the fact that they gave me a lot of room to spread my wings was incredible because it, it really allowed me to find my stride in terms of my style and 
in terms of just enjoying myself and not letting it feel like work and not worrying about it. But that whole trek from 12 years old to where I am today is it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, you know connecting links on that combat chain, so to speak, that got me from where I am there and my first toe dipped into that pool to to where I am today. And I'm just rambling here, and I apologize, but that that's that that's the the gist of it. I love it, and I see what you did there with the combat chain. We appreciate gotta, that. Got to go back to the source material, right? You gotta you gotta go back to to make sure that we remember that this is not a Star Wars podcast. It's not a Flake is a Dirt <laughs> podcast. It's a Flesh and Blood podcast. But today's episode is is about one of the people behind uh, behind Flesh and Blood uh, because I think at this point it is fair to say that uh, you are a coming an established household name in, in, in the Flesh and Blood scene, uh, and I think that's um, that is worth acknowledging. But before we get further into where you're going, I do want to ask a little bit more about Gwent. Um, I personally, it's actually funny. I come from a, a Gwent back, a, a little bit of a Gwent background, nothing like you, but, uh, I remember picking up, uh, the Witcher three and playing Gwent and that got me into, into magic, which got me into flesh and blood eventually. But a lot of people don't actually know what Gwent is. Um, and I think you're probably the perfect person to help us uh, understand a little bit more about Gwent. So Gwent is a it's a card game, but what people need to sort of di- disassociate from card games is our life totals, and that entire stigma that a game is two people at a certain health total, and you have to chip away at their health in various different ways. It's it's not that. Uh, Gwent is very unique in the sense that. I mean, I think that one of the best ways that somebody had described it in terms of selling it to somebody who doesn't know about it is imagine a, uh, imagine a card game where you draw reliably 80 to 80 to 85 percent of your deck. There's no cost to play a card. You can play your best card on turn one if you want to. And there is minimal to almost zero RNG elements. There's nothing that is really going to completely, you know, roll. You, there's no dice rolls. There's none of that. So it it truly becomes a game of deck construction, resource management, meta analysis, uh, and 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 turn planning, and just the, the strategy of turning uh, of playing your turns. Because it's not each game is three rounds, and you need to win two of the three rounds in order to win the game. And at any time, you could pass out of a round. And if you're if you're if your point total in that round is lower than your opponent's. Well, then you lose the round. But at the same time, losing a round by not giving up too many of your best cards is is strategically a a smart move to do. If they're if they're committing big pieces, you can kind of slow play them so they commit too much, where that you have a better advantage in the next two rounds. So, it is incredibly different than what you might see in The Witcher Three. It has gone through several re- reworks over time. Currently, it's um, in its current current iteration. It is. A fantastic game, and I do recommend everybody checks it out. It also has, and I'm not saying this because I like the game and I ca- I'm a caster for their for the game. I'm saying this because it is just a, a it's a statistical and data backed up fact. It has the best free to play model of any card game, at least that I've ever ever heard of. I mean, be, aside from a card game that just gives you everything for free and and you have access to everything. I, I, you can ask anybody who I've introduced the game to or who's, who's jumped in and put in you know 10 hours into the game you can have a competitive deck in 10 hours of play without doing without 
you know, dropping a single penny on the game. You can legitimately have something that you're proud of in 10 hours of gameplay. Uh, now, you, can, you can't necessarily say that about all kinds of games. And I know that games like Runeterra have excellent uh, economic models. Um, you know, it, Gwent blows it out of the water. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. I haven't, sp I, and I'm not shy to say this, I haven't spent a dime on that game in probably four years. Pro partially because I played it so much. But at the same time, the, the money I spend on it is for cosmetics, purely from a perspective of supporting the game. But in terms of actual cards, I haven't spent a dime on cards uh, in probably four years. And um, the game itself, it, it rewards deck building, meta-analysis, planning, you know, resource management in the game. It's it's really a game for people who like to, um, to really sit and 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 think, you know, and not get not get like gotcha'd, like oh, I, you know, this person randomly generated a card that generated a card that screwed me. Like it's not that type of type of game. But for those who have trouble understanding the rule set, it does take some time and some patience to actually get into. Um, it's going to take you a couple hours to really grasp the concept of what it is because you need to detach yourself from the fact that. The, the, the cards you play on the board do not attack anything necessarily. They're not there to push face. There's no face to, to attack. There's no aggro in that regard. So, uh, yeah. No aggro. No face smashing. That's it. And I get it. And and and, and so there's there's no there's no mono red. There's no Cheerios Briar, as it were. For you know, so there's no terrible. I was on board for a while. <laughs> there's no pirate warrior from whatever. Like that doesn't exist. It's just it's not out there. So you you can't just rely on a fact that you can, you know, crank out a game in five minutes and or decide that you're not going to win it in two or three. The amount of games that I've played that seemed hopeless, but you cobble together some good strategy, you bluff your opponent, and suddenly you're you're back in the W column. So um, I, I recommend this game to anyone who wants something that isn't within that life total type of framework that exists for so many other card games. That's excellent. It makes me want to start a Gwent podcast. I think you already got one going, though. <laughs> I, I do. You're more than welcome to to come on there and, and talk about it as a new player to the game or to the experience. But yeah, I mean, the, the Gwent podcast I have, if you're very interested, is called Flurza, which is essentially a name between myself, Flake, and uh, the community manager for Gwent by the name of Pavel Berja. So him and I have the, the Flurza podcast. But Anyways, that's that's out there as well. So you just recently, before the calling, uh, took down a ProQuest. That is not uh, an easy task uh, to to accomplish. I scrubbed out uh, this guy over here one one. So you guys have that in common. Leading up to that, how how seriously did you take being competitive in Flesh and Blood? Like when when did you decide to make that? transition like you had to go into the tank in in order to get to get to where you were to win a pro quest tell me tell me about deciding that this is something that you were going to do how you went about it like your your play testing regimen and in your you know your time going leading up to winning a pro quest all right so i want to be i want to be clear uh, about something real quick uh i i did not technically win a pro quest what I did was I got to the finals and I was up against uh, somebody who was there with their team. Their team, amongst like the four of them or so, already had two pro quests to their name, and the the, the dude that I was going to play against needed a, a PTI. I am 
unless there's you know unless something happens i will be casting the pro tour so i cannot play in it so we basically split so technically the way that it w that it worked out was i the way that the prizes were split was that i got i got the gold foil and he got the pti and the game never would never occurred so i never refer to it as me winning the pti i always whenever i reference that that whole that 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 match or that tournament i say that i took home the pti because technically i didn't win the the gold foil i just i took it home and that's how i refer to it and i want to give some i want to give some props to that team um uh, out of montreal and the four the four individuals who uh who were there the the, the gentleman who who actually took home the pti from that tournament is named alexandre lefebvre from montreal and the team is also there's michel carvino there's call uh carl del duquetto and nicolas Ploof. and these four people were awesome and i got to not only hang out with them at that particular uh, tournament but also at uh, several others that were occurring in the region but they they so they took it down was i confident that i could win of course i was confident i could win i was on a freaking heater i was i was uh i think i was the n the number two seed in that tournament and i was feeling really good i had beaten players like matthew dilks i had beaten like some of the the best players that are out there uh and i was very confident because i was a higher seed than than alex was and i was going to go first on starvo and i felt like it was going to be pretty good but i do want to clear the air i don't want to take any credit where credit isn't due um that um uh, that that's that's what happened in that case however i did play in i did play in five pro quests and i top aided three of them so i was pretty pretty happy about that because i feel like the the field was pretty strong as well there was a lot of of people that are out there who frankly have multiple you know ptis to their name and lots of pro quest wins and, and other major tournaments uh under their belts but the the process to becoming a competitive player i mean i never considered myself a, com a competitive player nor do i to this day and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that i'm i'm a broadcaster by trade by career by choice by passion the the competitive side of the gaming to me is is what i feel is a responsibility to everybody who listens to me on whatever media that they're listening to me uh, most most prominently on the the broadcast as a caster for the callings or for the or for nationals or, or for the upcoming pro tour i feel like if i am not on top of my game it is a disservice to everyone else who is listening to these matches if i am not as good as i can possibly be the people who are watching it why it, it comes down to why should they trust me why should they listen to me this is just some random schmuck who is naming the titles of cards that are hitting on the board. I need to be able to understand the strategies that are employed, the lines of play, the lines of victory, and how that entire board state and game state evolves and how each player would or should react to it. Now, am I going to be right all the time? Probably not, because if I was right all the time, I'd likely be up there at you know winning these events. But at the same time, that shift to competitiveness came off of the fact that I had this initial urge and, and responsibility that I felt to to the broadcast that I should be the best, but then that translated into actual actual results. So I was the second seed at the Harry Tarantula uh, Pro Quest. Uh, I lost to an incredibly poised and amazing player by the name of Raymond Chow, who is essentially my nemesis. I was up 40 to 11, I think, in a prism mirror with everything going my way, and I made one critical mistake, and he, he he never panicked, and he came back and won that game. I think ultimately won nothing or something like that. It was a, a nail biter. I had everyone in the in the in the in the venue surrounding that table just. 
being like, holy Moses, what a game. And it was it's, it was excellent to be just to be a part of it. But the practice I put in, uh, the time I put in was with really, really, really amazing players. I practiced with, you know, national champions. I practiced with multiple ProQuest winners. Uh, purely from the, the perspective of I want to learn. I want to know what where all these, you know, where you're seeing these lines. Talk to me, Goose. You know, like, give me those, all of those... Um, those thought processes that are going through your mind that I can't see. I don't want to know what the right play is. I want to know why it's the right play. I don't care about losing. I don't care about be- being told I'm wrong. I want to know why I need to sequence this turn this way or why I should block or why I shouldn't block or or why I should not swing hammer and arsenal a card or, or pressure or whatnot. So I'm privileged and, and so lucky that a lot of the people that I, I get to interact with regularly in this game are some of the best players in the world, hands down. Players like Tarek Patel, players like Matt Folks, players like Dan Mack. These are some of the best absolute players in the world. And I'm lucky enough to be able to, at certain times, just observe. Just observe the process. And it has translated to great results at various ProQuests, but also being able to understand the lines of play so when those situations do come up, in these tournaments, I'm not just speaking out of my ass. I'm actually making sense, and I'm actually coming from a position of, here's why this is the way it should be, and hopefully that's to the benefit of the viewers who are watching the broadcast. Well, and you certainly do such a good job. We just saw you coming out of the Indianapolis calling, uh, you alongside... uh God, I don't know if I ever get this one right. Brian Gottlieb? Yeah, Gottlieb, Brian Gottlieb. Great person who... uh, That was the first time I met him, and the first time I worked with him, and as soon as I met him, it was like we were, it was like he, he treated me like we had been working together for years. And as soon as the camera went on and we had our first match together, it was just boom, instant chemistry, instant understanding, instant, you know, that, that kind of just, all right, we're in this together. We've got, we got a, we got a job to do. Let's have fun while we do it. So big props to Brian. Cause he's a, he's an absolute professional. No, that's that. And I mean, yeah, you're, you're both professionals. So of course it, it makes sense that it, it just, it flows naturally for at least from the perspective of all of us watching from home. Cause that's certainly my, my perspective was you guys nailed, knocked it out of the park. Uh, I do also want to give credit to, to Tan and Grace though. He was also oh, don't do that. Don't, don't give credit uh, to Tan and Grace. <laughs> don't give Tannen any credit. Tannen, by the way, okay. Off the record, don't let him tell him, say that I said this, but Tannen is somebody who, um, when I was thrown in as sort of a fourth option, at U.S. Nationals, he was he the second that it went went off, uh, and and I was part of that crew. He treated me like uh, like a, a colleague. He treated me like a part of the group. He treated me like a brother. Uh, you know, we shared a hotel room for that all three or four four of those nights, and he he made sure that I was included and I was never overlooked. And I felt like an outsider to a degree, like walking in and not knowing anybody. But immediately he's like, "This is Flake." He's good people you know why like he, he's gonna crush it and you can edit all of that out and just go back to the fact that uh yeah tan tannin's okay he's an okay all right he's an okay guy <laughs> yeah and you know what i think go, go ahead, ahead. Ah, uh little tannin story of my own uh i when we were in vegas i uh for the the 
I don't know if you want to call it a pre-release of the world premiere or whatever of uh, Tales. When we were seated at the tables for deck building, Tannen ended up being seated at, at our table. And uh, to his credit, just the, the friendly guy, he was uh, immediately getting to know everybody at the table. And yeah, no, I, I can totally see how he would be, how he can be that way at all times, because it's it certainly shown. And it's, uh, you always hear about like, you don't want to meet your heroes or anything like that. But Tannen is, is what I think one of those examples of someone who you meet him and he, he lives up to the... He is most definitely not my hero, but uh, <laughs> he is good people. He's absolutely good people. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the uh, the big public takeaways from the calling was just how, I think from top to bottom, it was, it was a quality event. I think a lot of that comes from the tangible chemistry the three of you guys had in the broadcast booth. I think that um, the spread between the uh, from the whole weekend, I think, was was something something special. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, just not just the level of the competition, but the the quality of the individual matches, the spread of featured matches. I think the opportunity to call some of those unique uh, matchups and just you know high quality play. You went there as a player, and then you ended up as a caster there. What what exactly? happened uh, to get you get you over there well i had a i had a ticket like everyone else i had my deck that i had toiled over like crazy up until literally the morning of me driving to buffalo um the plan was literally um get to get to buffalo the evening before uh meet my really good friend john blevins we're gonna go we went for went for dinner with his lovely girlfriend we had a good time and it was like basically all right like I'm going to ride the couch, set the alarm for 1.45 a.m., and we're at, at 2 in the morning, we were going to hit the road and make the long trek, the eight-hour trek to Indianapolis so we can be ready for a whole day of side events and then get prepped and relax in the evening and then wake up and, and go nuts. It's a calling. Like, that was my first ever calling, and I was super excited. And not only that, but I was exceptionally confident. I came off of uh, that, that whole ProQuest season playing very good players and being very happy with my gameplay, but ultimately at about, I don't know, 11 p.m., like uh, maybe quarter to 11 p.m., I get a phone call from Tan and Grace. And typically if I get a phone call from Tan and Grace, it's because of it's because the Atlanta Braves have beat, beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's usually the only reason that he would contact me at such an hour. But it was basically, I answered him like, Tan, and like, I was worried. I was like, Tan, are you okay? Like, is everything all right? And he's like, what kind of clothes did you pack? I'm like, dude, I don't know, like jeans and, and a t-shirt and a sweater. Like, I, I don't know what else to, to say. He's like, okay. I'm like, what's up? He's like, well, uh, Craig, Craig Kremples, who I've never, I've never met. And it's unfortunate that it occurred the way it did because he was supposed to be there. And, um, you know, I, 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 I hope he, he, he got sick and, and I, I believe he's long since recovered and I'm glad that he did. And I hope to meet him and work with him one day. Uh, but that was it. He couldn't make it. So there was this long, long-standing scramble of okay, like basically what they told me was, all right, just watch your watch your email because you're going to get an email shortly. And I'm like, dude, I gotta, I gotta, I got like three hours of sleep. Like I'm going to get three hours of sleep. I, I can't stay up and you know just look for uh, for that email to come in. But I did, and I, like I barely slept. I slept maybe an hour. I got an email from SCG saying, hey, can you do it? You down to do it? And I'm like. Let's go. Let's do it. So uh, the, we drove to uh, we we drove to Indianapolis. 
on the way there, I made a uh, we we dropped our bags off and we went to TJ Maxx, where I spent probably about twenty dollars on two button-up shirts, and then Tannen <laughs> let me his uh, let me his uh, his blazer, which is right over there because I'm down to sell it as a game worn Tannen Grace authentic jersey uh, that I'm maybe gonna you know submit to the Smithsonian of card gaming one day. But uh, that was it. It was v- very much a, a complete you know one eighty to what I was planning on doing and. Arriving on the Friday, I played in side events, and I I went undefeated in all the side events. So I was like, dude, I really, really want to play in the calling now because I am so confident. All the CC events I played in, I didn't lose. So I was like, holy Moses. Like, I'm on on an absolute heater here. Like, how can I not play tomorrow? But my passion is with broadcasting, and I just put put the deck in the sleeves, in the hotel, showed up at like you know at 8 30 in the morning the next day and just went to work and and that was uh that's how that went there was literally uh just a random i don't say random phone call but a phone call that basically essentially turned that entire trip on its uh, on its head for me in in the best ways possible so from the caster's perspective you got to watch that whole obviously the whole event uh go down how give me your big picture takeaway from all you know f- from that weekend in terms of in in terms of play in terms of heroes what did you what did you think of that um absolutely okay first thing i want to do is just completely sidetrack this and, and mention that i just noticed what the title of this episode was and i full-on and wholeheartedly approve this is <laughs> this is perfect um the big picture takeaway from this is that the the overall the average player is now so much better than they were back at any of the other callings that the complete skill set the the level of player has risen tremendously and um i had a discussion with with matt rogers on my podcast a little while ago and he made that same assessment because i asked him about being world number one which he currently is no longer that that title is held by michael hamilton but i asked him i said are how worried are you and he said dude the entire field is so much better that everybody is elevating their game and that was absolutely like that was just so apparent at this tournament i cannot say enough about the level of gameplay that every game that i got to cast every game that i paid attention to i did take like one or two games off to go and basically eat and and just kind of you know just sort of eat gummy bears in the corner and just kind of hydrate but every game i watched of the of the like the 12 rounds of swiss i watched 10 of them like and you know like i was i was a part of 10 of them like so you know into it every game that i watched from start to finish was uh, almost pretty much a masterclass. Very few errors, very few misplays or, or, or missequencing, but most of it was just in, impressive. And I think that the calling in Indianapolis was such a great showing for the world of those who do not know necessarily what Flesh and Blood is or are not familiar with it or who are might be skeptical of the fact that it's just a tax and a health total how is this different than anything else this this game that tournament itself was such a beautiful um demonstration to the world of just how complex and layered flesh and blood is so the best takeaway from this is that each game was a, a beautiful exhibition of what the game should be and that every player seems to have moved up a notch every game was not a gimme players like Tarek patel did not make the top eight they even they were out before they even completed 12 rounds so to speak that there was there were multiple 
you know, uh, uh, major tournament winners who didn't get even even get to see day two. It's it was that much of a gauntlet. It was that much of a murderer's row of players that the people who are playing are really taking this to another level, and that can only be incredibly beautiful for the whole game. And I am so excited to see where this goes. It really did seem like there was a uh, convergence in Indianapolis. It, it, the the level of player that made a point to get there uh, just seemed like everyone who who was anyone decided that this was the weekend that they were going to come. And I think the um, definitely the quality of player uh, and the profile of player it just seemed like every every feature match had a had you know what you might consider a marquee person uh, getting in front of that camera and watching them play. It was definitely very exciting. Um, from a meta perspective, how do you uh, how do you feel about how the hero breakdown uh, was going into day one? Are you are you happy with that? Is is twenty eight percent Starvo okay with you? I think or? it's okay, and I, I might be in the small in the minority in terms of, of saying like this is fine. And I think that it's a situation of yeah, all these living legend points and how many it has and blah blah blah. That's what living legend is for. So all these people are like, look how many living legend points it has. Obviously, it's a problem. Yeah, obviously, it's it's a strong hero and it's gonna get to living legend and then living legend will have done what it was supposed to do. So what do you want to ban it before it hits living legend, making basically living legend useless? Like I don't get it. Like. Is, is Living Legend out there to ban a hero that's been around for 10 years and slowly accumulating points? Or is it there to as a net to catch the, 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 the big bad wolf that has been basically prowling a meta for a little while? In reality, how many big tournaments has Starvo been around? A lot of the fatigue about, Star, uh, about Starvo was seeing all the pie charts that have essentially been published and printed regarding ProQuest's data and i get it everybody's like oh it's another starvo it's the triangle of doom it's this and that yeah there's always gonna be better decks that are out there than other decks and i'm sorry if you're an azalea stand here and you don't get to play that and successfully your day might be coming soon it might happen but ultimately i think that the meta itself is going to it's going to shift and sway and i mean is this any is this any different than the chain meta? Is this any different than the Briar meta? Is this any di- like there's always going to be a big bad wolf and the people who are out there trying to to basically you know rein it in it, it, that that deck is gonna Starvo is gonna be flying real high if it's too close to the sun you know then Living Legend is gonna singe its wings but otherwise you can't always rely on LSS to clip those wings before it flies that high. So in this case, I think that it's fine. I think it's okay. And I really believe that given the fact that there's no online client to accelerate how the meta will shift and sway to uh, uh, essentially, well, what's the term, to essentially correct or readjust to to what it is, you need tournaments for people to have a chance to put the time and the work in to go in and see how those things happen because playing at a local armory for you know uh, for a cold foil is not necessarily an indicator of what the best decks are it's just what what you want to bring to that to that particular tourney or maybe catch some some you know some average players or casuals off guard in in reality i think that it's okay to have several strong decks it might not feel good when you might get paired up against so many starvos in one particular tournament but at the same time how can you fault the best players in the world from not playing the best decks at the biggest tournament 
that's going on. Are you really going to get mad at somebody? Like, I, I've seen the salt that occurs when somebody's like, oh, great, another Starvo. Like, I sat across in those players. I'm like, well, I want to win this tournament. Clearly, you don't because you're bringing dash or whatever like you know like i get it i'm not and there's no fault in doing that if you're confident i played against a dash player who whooped my ass when i was on prism and played a really close game with me again the next weekend on dash as with myself on starvo it's it's possible but at the same time when players really want to win they're going to take the strongest option and refine it to the meta and go that way so i think the meta's all right and i only say it's all right because there's still the pro tour and then there's going to be changes there might be bans and restrictions or whatever but it's it's okay because there's an expiry date on it if it was like this and there was nothing along the horizon to sort of reel it in or, or change it then i would suggest that it might be problematic but the the fatigue of seeing starvo all the time i get it but it's there's an expiry date on that so you got to kind of pump your brakes on the fact that you're criticizing the best players in the world taking the best decks in the world to the biggest tournaments in the world yeah i i completely agree our uh and our meta is probably the healthiest i think it's been in a, a while like when you compare this to chain meta or briar meta like chain cha seeds chain was oppressive that was you you either needed to specifically try to beat that deck or play that deck and you know same thing when when briar came along a lot of people were playing briar and this time around we have it's almost uh, a three-way split between like yeah starvo gains the the slight edge but between starvo uh viscerai and prism there are still fairly close games across those three matchups like i it's fair to say <coughs> that like now, do I? We we do have the BNR announcement coming on. Uh, is it April fourth? Is our next one? I believe um, April April fifth. April fifth, and it'll be interesting to see what LSS does. Um, if they don't do anything, I'm fine with it. I I know I'm not the only one who who think who feels that way. I mean, if they do something, I think it'll be interesting for Jersey. Then we'll we'll just have to to, to explore and figure out what the new meta is. And I'm not opposed to that challenge. But if 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 the status quo stays as it is, I I think that's fine. You think they'll do something, both of you? I can see them making. I can see them making Okanold uh, an Oldham specialization, but I don't think that you really want to touch and mess with a hero that is. It's tough again because the the problem is is you don't want to create a situation where it's unplayable ahead of a pro tour without new cards coming in, so that Viserai just reigns supreme, and that's what would happen. Viserai would essentially reign supreme because it would be it would out aggro aggro. Uh, Chain wouldn't have enough time to basically digest and create uh, enough soul shackles to have those pop-off turns. And Prism wouldn't be able to keep up. Prism's not favored against uh, against it. But Prism might be a slight edge to maybe 50-50 against, uh, against Starvo. A great Prism player will beat a Starvo player. However, if you just kill Starvo, well, have fun seeing six of eight top, eights, uh, top eight players being Viscerai. That's what you're in for. You might catch a chain or two in there, but that's what it'd be. Maybe you catch like a, a an Alexi or an Oldham or something along those lines. But frankly, that that's that's the way it goes. And uh, I, I don't think that they... I can see taking away a massive, reliable tool like Oakenold away from it 
away from uh, from Starvo, I can see that happening and still maintaining a lot of the power level minus one of those major reliable cheap disruption tools. But beyond that, I don't think that you should do anything to it. Like honestly, maybe maybe the whole idea of of a pulse only representing one element on your fuse could do it. But at the end of the day, man, like just take them off their leash man let them fly like let them go like let them run you know yeah and you're right like at the rate at the rate starvo's going it won't be long till the living legends out anyway um what we've got maybe if things stay as is we've got maybe a couple months left of this and then we're on to something new like at at the absolute pro tour yeah at at the absolute latest uh i'm sure at the rate he's going he can be living legend out before god that's how do you how do you say that? Living legended out? <laughs> uh I don't know. Like do you call it just gilded? Do you call it like I don't know how to call it like I like <laughs> I would call it just gilded. Just like he's go he's golden, baby. He's gone. But there like go. I, I mean, like you mentioned, a few more months. How many I I the only time that I really put my toe into competitive magic was around Dominaria and when that was in standard, and how many people and how many Teferis and how many people <laughs> counting the the months and days and years until certain cards got rotated out because they were so toxic and oppressive and whatever. Like if you're playing a card for a, a really strong card for maybe four or five months and then it's gone, like that's pretty damn sweet, man, because I've played in metas where there were cards that were on the chopping block that we could not wait. Like you pop champagne when standard rotation occurs and those cards are gone. And then new ones come in and ruin your day anyways. But ultimately, like if Starvo's reign is only that long then that's not bad that's the system doing what it should do yeah yeah 100 percent. now to speak to the other side of the perspective i have i mean there's always rumors flying left right and center uh one of the rumors i have heard is that it is possible that uh starvo gets retired per se if if that is the case i think to go back to um, your point about Viscerai, I think they need to do things to rein in Viscerai as well, uh, if that's the case. I don't know if that means dealing with a card like maybe Revel. Uh, I know Revel and uh, a combination of Revel and Mordred can be the culmination of just huge turns. And you you can't necessarily deal with Mordred because Mordred then totally kill Well, it doesn't totally, but goes a huge part into hampering the OTK strategy. But you They're can't... buying me right now. You can't... You can't deal with. I agree. You can't deal with with Starvo without maybe dealing with Viscerai as well. Then, um, do you go even further and do something to Prism? I don't think so. I think Prism, though Prism mm-hmm. is strong, Prism is is something that is still requires a lot of finesse in in piloting. It, it's not something you just pick up and win with. Um, I don't even. And you think- know, you know where we're at. If you do that, you know where we're at again. We're at Chain again. Yeah, we're at chain exactly, and we have and we're at Briar, like Earth Briar, like the one that Sam Dando played, something along those lines. That's where we're at. Maybe Ice Lexi, like that's that's mm-hmm. where we're at. But you're gonna see again chain, and then chain's gonna get people are gonna start begging for chain to be touched or messed around with. So if you start going down that slippery slope of well, if we touch this, then we're gonna have to adjust this, and then this is gonna be too powerful. So the you know mm-hmm. at, at the at which rate. Maybe uh, you know what you're doing there. Standard rotation. That's what you're doing. If you're touching yeah. everything, then you're doing a standard rotation, and that and that's what not what they're looking at here. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think that even furthers the the argument then that things should probably it's, be left alone. 
it's as it's as as healthy as it can be right now. If you if you do it, if you try to do anything else with it, you're gonna mess with you're gonna mess with the whole format. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, no, I hopefully then based off all that, they leave it alone. But I, you know, we've we've been caught off guard before. Things like ball lightning getting banned. I know that wasn't on anybody's radar. Uh, well, I shouldn't say anybody's radar. I do know Kugani uh, was calling for the banning of ball lightning, and uh, he, he's calling for awakening. By the way, so is he? He's actually been he's been very good about projecting bans, um, and he has been calling for awakening. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe so we we'll give see. up awakening. Hey, the world. The, the the calling champion did not run awakening did not run awakening so that's if anything and when i spoke to him uh i had a i had an interview i interviewed him um yesterday uh and um yesterday being i guess the 23rd of march and i asked him about it and he said it's in in many games it's a do nothing blue pitch that doesn't block and I said, yeah. all right, I feel you. Like, at the same time, everybody plays it because it's a fantastic thing to do to catch up when you're getting your ass kicked. But at the same time, if you're in the lead, it is a tempo killer, ladies and gentlemen. It is just there to draw and make you feel like garbage. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you can maybe make the argument that it's a sideboard card. Uh, but yeah, I, it's probably dead it's probably bad more often than it's good and then it's just people are so high on it because the times when it's good they're like yeah but i casted a, a pulverize for free and it's like cool but every other time you probably lost the game because you drew it when you needed to draw a a card that could block or something like that all right yeah i lost in the weeds there a little bit i do want to that's what we do best <laughs> we do we do we, it is on brand going circling back to the calling i think uh, because that was such a high-profile event and there was such high stakes in the match, we started to have a couple breakout stars. I think in in the format, and that was that's uh, I think that's positive for the game. Um, and whether you like it or not, you're one of them. I Mr. appreciate Slick. it. Well, thank you kindly. <laughs> from a from a uh, from a competitor standpoint, I think the uh, the breakout of the weekend was Mr. Fino Black on Prism going. 100 and 0 going up to the finals here against Michael Hamilton. How does um <clears throat> how did how did that run look from from your end his prism deck and uh, his quirky name there. So uh, from the broadcasting perspective all we crave is storylines and narrative because if it's just a bunch of randos doing rando things like it's just it's difficult to cobble together a story when there's really nothing that jumps out at you. I mean, uh, having, ha you know, if, if the top eight was three Starvos, three Viscerize, two Prisms, it wouldn't make for good TV, as it were. Uh, the fact that the players, who they were, and the games and their, tr their, their trek through the Swiss round and the story and the journey that they were on was so... Uh, enthralling somebody like Fino Black going 10 and 0 before finally losing, uh, being in the finals on Prism, it was exceptional, honestly. And the fact that Michael Hamilton, you know, the 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 way that it was drawn up was great because the top four was, um, you know, you had your. I think there was like a there was a chain. I, I don't know if there was. A, I believe there was a chain. I believe it was um, Cody Williams and yeah. Michael Hamilton uh, in a rematch, and it was. Uh, I don't David know what the other... Sam, it was, then it was Sam yeah. Dando and Fino Black, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yes, that's oh, right. And our... Cody, Cody and Hamilton were the featured, was the streamed match, and yeah. Dando and Fino were not. Uh, yeah, it's it's all a blur to me now. I forgot exactly <laughs> what the exact you know the exact matchups and such were. But ultimately, when you have somebody like Fino Black on Prism with with the record that he has as the top seed, and then you have people like Sam Dando bringing Briar that really just set the pace in saying, hey, there are other ways to do aggro. There's other ways to do Runeblade. It was phenomenal. And then you have Cody Williams really putting a uh, putting chain back on the map, so to speak, and saying, hey, this, this is a deck that's still good. And watching how he played it was fantastic. But it, equally, you have players like Michael Hamilton who go up against these chain players who are catching people off guard and completely... You know, just just flipping the the page in terms of what you think the strategy is against chain. Because if you're Starvo and you're going first and you got a fuse, sometimes you're thinking, all right, I'm going to clap you in the face and it's just going to be all downhill for you. I've got about three or four turns before things get real ugly, so I'm going to maximize it. But the the patience and the the poise that Michael Hamilton had in terms of taking the fatigue route on that game and then having the beauty of having a rematch and thinking like, holy hell, this is a rematch where maybe. Maybe Michael changes his strategy. Maybe he changes his sideboard. Maybe Cody Williams changes his strategy, which he did. In that matchup, you'll notice, you know, off those Soul Shackle 2, 3, 4, he was stockpiling all of his Banish Zone with Blood Debts because he wanted that massive pop-off turn. He didn't want to whiff late when it mattered. He wanted to keep it in there. And knowing that Michael Hamilton was just going to sit back and 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 watch everything and block everything out, his end game was fatigue. It wasn't through damage so M cody knew that he could take blood debt damage in order to have a very explosive turn so even from one game to the next in the same day the 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 landscape of it and how it played out was was different even though the the strategies were more or less uniform um it was great to see how that final four shaped out and the finals was exceptional as well the entire top eight was great to behold now would it be nice to see like a Katsu up there or a Lexi up there or, you know, uh, anything other than the, you know, the big three? But ultimately, there wasn't even a Viscerai in the top eight, which was pretty surprising in general. So I'm very happy with what the top eight looked like because it was enough of a snapshot of what, of what the meta should look like. Plus, it put into perspective the fact that there are decks outside of the Triangle of Doom that are not only viable, but are threatening. I do want to correct myself here. Uh, I was remembering the Sam Dando match from the quarterfinals. The the top four was Fino Black versus David Rude and Sam Dando versus Michael Hamilton. Uh, you beat me to it. I, I just checked as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was looking. I was looking at that as you were talking. I was like, ah, man. I do remember that. Fino is actually local to my area. I cannot win a ProQuest because he exists. <laughs> Has he sold you a uh, 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 for a remember your tunic trigger shirt yet, or is that is that down the line? I have to I have to. Do. I, it is. It it appears to be uh, it, it on the Facebook Marketplace uh, group. It, he's he, it's pretty active with the memory <laughs> right now. Definitely, definitely. Well, I will say this: uh, he played like an absolute maestro, but at the end of the day, um. Stamina, endurance, me you know, mental focus, etc., is all part of the game. It's all part of playing your cards and preparing for a tournament. And if you know, if if Michael Hamilton, he could have made mistakes and he didn't, or he could have missed triggers and he didn't. So it's all part of the game. I would not think that 
uh, a missed tunic trigger is will would have dictated the outcome of that game. But ultimately, the fact that there was that there, you know what? Part of it. It's part of it. Nobody plays cleanly, but ultimately, Michael Hamilton played just maybe a little bit cleaner than Fino did. But that game was stellar. That game, I, I you know, I would love to just rewatch it over and over and over again because it, it shows how it shows the the patience in the game plan of Michael Hamilton and just the 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 methodology of Fino on that list and what that list is meant to do and how well he played it. It was two top tier world class players playing their lists so well. Somebody had to win, somebody had to lose, and that's basically how it goes. But man, what a good good game. Yeah, it was. It was a, a nail biter right down to the end. You know, mistakes happen, and like you say, that's part of the game. And I think at, at that world class level, that's where that that's where games in part are won. It is two players, two titans going at it until eventually somebody misses something, somebody makes a mishap, and, and you know the other person's able to to seize the advantage. Um, and that was the. That was evident in the finals, but despite that, it was, yeah, just an incredible game. And that, that's what we hope to see at the end of the day, I think. What was your favorite game of the weekend? Was it the finals or is there another one? Honestly, um, it's tough to say. I, I mean, look, I, I've got to say this, is that the there was a match between a Katsu, an agro Katsu player and... A old school, a Bravo showstopper, uh, a gentleman by the name of Clark. I, I, I don't, I don't have his last name offhand, and I'm going I to get it. it. Clark Jansen and Alberto Ruiz. There we go, Alberto Ruiz and Clark Jansen. And I'm going to say that I just loved casting this match because the these were matches that really reminded me of when I was playing in in Road to Nationals and various armories when I had just gotten into the game. I had played a Katsu and I had bumped into enough. Star, you know, uh, not Starvos, Bravos with Pummel, you know, nothing like an Anothos with a Pummel Chaser, so to speak, just to kind of just put you in your place. That has happened so many times. And that was that was one of the highlights for me was being able to cast that match. I asked. So part of the difficulty of this is the fact that we know as the tournament's going to progress, you're going to have the best decks bubble to the top and there's going to be less variety. Um, ultimately, it really worked out because we got to see Chain and Briar and a lot of cool decks late in the, into the uh, tournament. But early on, we wanted to go ahead and find some really some nice spice, as it were. So at one point, I had tasked Tannen Grace. I said, Tannen, I know it's not my birthday, but go find me a Katsu that you can put on screen. And he comes back. He's <laughs> like, I got you, buddy. I'm like, not only is it a Katsu, it's a Katsu playing Bravo. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. He's like, no, 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 not Starvo. Bravo. I was like, we got a, a Bravo and a Katsu that are like positive winner. They're like, we got two, I think it was like three and one players. And I'm like, lock and load, let's do this. And holy Moses, was that fun. Um, it was probably the most refreshing match to play, but probably one of the most, one of my most favorite matches to call was likely the um likely the rematch between michael hamilton and cody williams merely because they had already faced each other and michael took a very uh i don't want to say unorthodox approach unorthodox for starvo but but at the same time you see how you see cody adapt to the strategy in the in the in the rematch and you see michael also having a di like some more difficulty 
in terms of of closing it out and those 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 last that last turn where you flip over all your cards off soul shackles and you're just basically as the starvo player as michael hamilton you're basically a passenger and for the rest of that and you're, it's like all right and you see the gears turning you know you see the calculations cody trying to figure this one out and um and it's like it's like the last two minutes of a basketball game it takes like 30 minutes but it's just that's kind of how it goes it just takes forever but ultimately you have all the pieces in front of you and you have to piece together this monstrosity of a puzzle to win or lose the game and that is an unenviable position that i never want to be in because i don't play chain and i don't want to because i don't want that stress but as a broadcaster the narrative was there the stakes were there and the the gameplay was exquisite so that is most likely my favorite uh match from the tournament you're going to talk about storylines i would say that coming into the pro tour if those two get matched up because i highly doubt their their heroes will change by then i think that'll be a good match to watch people will be looking forward to that Oh, we're going to be hunting through the the pairings like crazy because this is the pro tour is essentially the who's who of flesh and blood and you know not to discredit or not uh to disrespect anyone else in the tournament but when we're looking to put people on screen we're looking for for people who have uh, you know notoriety or wins under their belt or whatever like especially early on before uh the records basically dictate who's on screen you want the the, the people who are you know really playing for for something to be on screen so those first few matchups in uh in new jersey is going to be real tough to figure out who the hell you're going to put up there like are you gonna are you gonna put up michael hamilton versus matt rogers or are you gonna put up you know like Tarek patel versus a uh, black like what what are you doing you know it's there's so much that you're gonna have to make tough decisions about uh so i'm just gonna let tannin do it and then i'm gonna blame tannin if it goes awry <laughs> perfect i do I, I do we were gonna start transitioning into something else but i i'm gonna take us off the rails again how much control do you have in who f- is the feature match is that um is that between you three so it depends on the organizer i mean when i was working with channel fireball for the nationals um maybe it's just purely because i was you know uh the newbie so to speak so i didn't really have much creative control or, or directional control in terms of what is shown but the way that it, it the procedure of how this works typically is once the pairings are fired off the judges rush the pairings to us like the whole the whole stack of like 10 printed sheets of pairings and we go through the list of whoever has the most wins and then we pick out you know who's there and then we're also scouting whoever's not broadcasting out of the three of us is out at the tables in the top tables looking for any kind of anomaly any type of point of of interest like a different hero something outside the norm and that's where we picked up sam dan uh, sam dando and that's where we picked up uh cody williams on chain and this and that so what happens then is when we get the pairings we basically say here's what we want to see because this has the, be- the the best option because the the technical producers who are running the show and the judges who are basically organizing everything and whatnot they don't they don't they don't have time or knowledge of you know what's going on and and stuff all the all the stuff that we've spoken about the narratives that we're creating etc so we pick out the the, we basically pick out the the matches we want the main screen match and the backup match and then we give those uh those table numbers to the judges who rush out and print out the deck lists 
and call those players to the main stage. And then there's, you know, there's about five minutes of jawing or like, you know, three to five minutes of jawing ahead of time while the players are getting shuffled up. And when we hear it in our ear, like, all right, game's ready to fire off. And then we kick it to the match and then and then get going. But oftentimes we don't even have deck lists when the the, uh, the games start. They get basically sort of slid to us under the table as we're broadcasting or passed along to us while the game just begins so that we can go through it. Very rarely do we have the deck list in advance, like as we're discussing the game um, only only later on because we we've already seen these players before, so that's that's kind of how it goes. So yeah, I mean, we do get to pick and choose who goes up there, um, but it's not a game of favorites. It's a game of of who's interesting, who's unique, who's the best um, ambassador on screen for the game, so to speak. I mean, there were, there were so many big names on camera, so many stories developed. Uh, one funny little one: Brendan Patrick got over his uh, stream hump finally, managed to get a win on camera. David Rude, I, I know from me being uh, up up north here, like th- that was a name I had heard. But I think for for a lot of the the community, like David Rude was a huge story. D- Dave Rude for me is uh, Dave Rude. You know, is is very intimately associated with with Harry Tarantula, yeah. uh, a place yep. where I go play, a place where I love to to be, a place that has some of the best players in the world. I mean, Isaac Crute, uh Sean Dollywall uh like joel repta uh david root obviously um you know even players like you know, like raymond chow a yeah. double pro winner broquest winner raymond chow whom a lot of people probably don't know about but is is an absolute assassin because he's he's the nicest guy and he's the most ruthless guy <laughs> so he's he's somebody who will beat you and then very kindly take the time to explain how he beat it, he beat you. So he's a very very generous with his time individual, a very nice guy altogether. Um, but David Rude to me was somebody that I had, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, I have immense bias towards see, wanting to see him win for two reasons. Number one, we're both from Montreal. He wears a Montreal Expos hat. I used to go to Montreal Expos games all the time. Uh, he's also been incredibly kind and generous to me with his time and allowing me to you know, to to be part of the the Harry Tarantula community, um, you know, inviting me to the store, helping me with, uh, you know, helping me with decks and stuff and talking strategy. But not only that, just being a, a good ambassador for the game in, in my region here within Toronto. Um, Harry Tarantula is one of, like, it's like an institution here. And not just because the players there are great, which they are, but the store is awesome, and the the culture there is is very is very positive. It's very it's very awesome. Not to say that there aren't other great stores in the area. I mean, I just I did a pro quest at um, a place called Manta Trading, and Manta Trading is like it's very small, and it's very it's very you know it's a small little operation run by some ex- exceptionally amazing people. That and now I'm so glad to hear that 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 store is expanding. It's getting bigger. It's getting better. Um, the people from there are, are awesome. Like, there's so many just Chimera Gaming, you know, in Barrie, Ontario. Like, damn, like, so many awesome places to play cards. So many awesome places. And Dave Rude, like, specifically seeing him in the quarterfinals and knowing that he's had a history in card games and to see this kind of resurgence of, of him. And he, he always mentions, like, hey, I'm a dad first. You know, I'm a father first, and I and and I have responsibilities. And to see him succeed, he always gives so much credit to his team, and always tell he always mentions privately, he's like, my team is so much better than I am. Uh, so when I when I went further than they did, it was a little bit of a surprise. But I owe you know he owes 
he owes them a lot of his of his success too so it's uh, it's awesome in that regard to see his success in that regard and it was a little heartbreaking when he lost but what can you do man like I, I root for him every single day. Yeah, no, and I, I got to experience a bit of that Harry Tarantula community back when events were online uh, Tuesday nights. That was the one I would always look forward to. So they've got a great thing going on over there, and you, you love to see um, someone like David Rude be as successful as he is. And I think in general, uh, to go back to some of your comments there, that's a cool thing about the game we have here is that it it, it, it attracts, you know, the... It, it, it attracts people who want to see that community grow and it, it's we tend to prioritize you know the the inviting culture and humility and all those types of things over over spiking events or what have you and i i think that's just such a cool thing for the the future of our game and uh you know uh, out here in Western Canada, I can say that we're trying to, to foster that. It's cool to hear that out in Eastern Canada. You guys are also fostering that. It's it, it's it's awesome. You know, you know I was going to say, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like, I, I, I can only speak to the the region within where I'm in, but I don't think I've ever had a uh, heard from like people where I say like, no, this region's all full of douchebags. Like, I've never <laughs> heard that, you know, like, whereas in, in various other games, perhaps there are pockets of areas that like people are just like, uh, no, nah, not for me, but never with flesh and blood. You got to come down to my neck of the woods. <laughs> Is it just this cesspool of toxicity? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome mm. to America. No, we're so, good. One of the uh, one of the scariest things uh, to me is knowing that someone with the discipline of a professional football player has decided to take on uh, trading card games. You're tell crazy. me, tell me, tell me about Dalen Mack. What is there to say about Dalen Mack? Uh, I will I, I will say this about Mister Dalen Mack. Um, if you discount and and just disqualify the bread rolls from the all-you-can-eat uh, meat kind of like Brazilian steakhouse meat place that we went to uh, for, for dinner on Saturday. If you discount all of the bread rolls, I ate more than Dalen Mack at the all-you-can-eat uh, Brazilian steakhouse. That is a fact that can be corroborated by uh, several people who witnessed it. Um, I don't know if he was just, you know, he, he had day two to worry about, so he didn't want to eat too much. But yeah, um, he's also in train camp mode, right? I believe. Well, close to it. that is correct as well. Is that uh, he was very much in a position where he was he was ready to just like tell his coaches like, hold on, I'm gonna be late because I have like a tournament to to go to or something like that. I don't know. But he is definitely in training. He he got drafted by uh, so he was originally drafted in the NFL, and uh, most recently he's going to be playing for the Tampa Bay Bandits which is uh, I forgot what league that is I'm not a big football fan ultimately but uh, in terms of work ethic and USFL USFL that would be it correct um, I believe he was like one of the, the the top scouted players in his position like he was he's a big deal but what impresses me the most uh, clearly not his eating habits because I crushed him um, <laughs> was the fact that I have never seen anybody or played with anybody that plays as much as him, that thinks about it as much as him, that that focuses as much as him, that's committed as much as him to excellence. That like, and I get it. Uh, sometimes failure and and losing games can really eat at you. But there's nobody who goes into the lab more than Dalen Mack that changes his deck to to fit an evolving meta more than Dalen Mack. No one plays more games than Dalen Mack, 
that he you know one of the funny things is that every time i have a guest on my podcast he always messages him and say ask him how many games they play ask him how many games they play <laughs> and it's always like the disappointing to him i'm like dude i'm like i only think they only play like five or six games a day he's like what dude i'm rocking like 15 to 20 i'm like i know you are because you're constantly in my dms telling me to play against you so i'm like you know like that's the kind of duty is but i will say this if there's anybody who's destined to win a calling, let alone multiple callings, it's going to be Dalen Mack. Because the like I said at the at the beginning of the show, hard work pays off, and there is no other pillar of hard work. There's no other beacon of hard work than Dalen Mack, and uh, he inspired me because he he got me to second seed at Harry Tarantula Pro, Pro Quest off of Prism when Starvos were running rampant. He was the one who put me through that gauntlet and taught me how to play. I owe a lot of my own success competitively to his teaching, his his patience with me. And yeah, we've had like our spats because we have different personalities and such. And like with certain things that I don't see that he sees because he's that much smarter than me at the game. You know, we, we have a little bit of our, our heated debates about things, but that's just how it is. We're both we're both gamers, but man, like I would, uh, my arguments with Dalen Mack are over the internet because he would absolutely just he would launch me into the sun if he was ever mad at me because I think I weigh about a buck sixty five and he would just straight up Nolan Ryan fastball me into a into a passing planet like that's what he would do to me is but in terms of just competitive competitive um, work ethic and such Dalen Mack is gonna win. A calling, he's going to win multiple callings. As long as he stays interested in this game, he is a force. And I am I am so glad that I never have to square off against him in a, in a pairing. Like, I think that there's no more terrifying thing than someone refreshes their pairings on their phone on the website and, and note that they're going to be playing against Dale and Mac in, like, a win-and-in or in a, in a, in a match that matters. Because that that is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember catching your interview with him where even to go back to the comment about uh, how many games you play in a day. And I think at the time his answer was 10. And I remember thinking, all right, that's that's probably the standard right now. And that's what I should be striving towards. And now to hear the numbers up into the 15 mark and plus, and it's like, oh, God, I don't know if I can keep up with this. Like, that's the amount of work. That Constantly. What you'll notice on that uh, on that podcast as well is that there's a constant clicking slash fanning slash like flickering noise because he's constantly goldfishing he's constantly (laughs) goldfishing like during the podcast and i told him like before we 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 started recording i'm like put the cards down dalen i'm like put them in a drawer and show me your hands like i want the podcast to be you like this like with your hands up in the air in the camera and he just couldn't do it he because it's to him he needs to constantly be goldfishing he needs to constantly be be working at it and and uh, he was my favorite to win the calling in Indianapolis. But uh, one thing that he noted at the end of that, um, and that everyone else did, as we mentioned earlier, was the, the overall level of competition just, it got upgraded. And everybody, if you're not, if, if you're lagging behind, baby, like it's, it's, th- there's no time to stop and smell the roses because you will get lapped. The field is constantly moving. Oh, 100%. Uh, people are hungry to be good at this game right now. And it's, I know it's, I notice it 
all the time. I've seen it throughout since essentially since skirmish season one when I started playing. I've noticed the the compete level just increase, and I've heard other people talk about it. And it's it's moving forward. It's going to be a daunting task um, winning events uh, and any event you know from pro quest to 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 a calling to Jersey coming up. Like the wh- whoever is successful in that feat that that is going to be quite the accomplishment it it does what it it was a bit of a perfect storm when you when you put uh when you put a calling event like that in just on the tail end of uh you know four weeks of highly competitive cc play you know just just before that where you've been testing for two months and you know you're basically peaking right before that and uh, you get uh you get everyone, everyone right, right there at their most competitive. So it ended up working out really well. Yeah, it certainly did. Now we, we've spoken a lot about your your broadcasting and your playing, and uh, another thing that you've kind of started. I, I don't know if this is a new thing for you, but uh, certainly uh, it's starting to pop up more now. Is uh, some writing endeavors of yours? Uh, I've seen you've had some articles on CFB. Uh, you just had one go live on uh, the Fab TCG website. Um, tell us a little more about that. Well, um, writing is something that I I've been doing for a long time um i used to write for my school paper i used to uh like you know r- write blogs and nonsense on myspace and all that other garbage that you know you, you you flick on my chemical romance and you write out your feelings on a blog post <laughs> on my on, on myspace like I, we've all been there right like so <laughs> that's kind of where that was but ultimately the writing thing was where i began my interest in sort of journalism and that's kind of where uh, I, I kind of eventually learned. I'm like, hey, you got a big freaking mouth, Flake. I'm like, damn right, I do. So th- this is all a conversation w- amongst myself. Like, just to- <laughs> so in my head, I was like, oh, why say words when I can speak them? Right? Why write words when I can speak them? So I eventually just naturally progressed to to just doing broadcasting in this regard because it was something that I was very comfortable doing, and public speaking never bothered me. And I always worked with the public, be it you know. Um, my bartending or whatever and like so it didn't bother me I, I liked i liked being able to to speak and and speak to people uh the writing was then put aside because it was just never fruitful it never felt like a fruitful use of my time to write stuff and the problem with writing was also the fact that nobody cares unless you have a portfolio unless you have anything i i when i like i'll, I'll say maybe like five six months ago i i approached various card you know, uh, local game stores and offered to write for their websites. And they, they're like, who the hell are you? Like, who cares? Like, go away. So uh, I was like, okay. So I was like, I get it. I'm like, I have nothing to my name. It's very difficult to get started like everything else is. You know, it's, it's difficult to get noticed when you don't have... Everybody wants somebody with experience, right? And so where's that first, that first entry point? And to me, I was like, I'm going to start with the broadcast portion and then we'll see what happens. And ultimately, after that, I approached uh, Channel Fireball because I already worked with them at the Nationals. And I said, hey, there's one thing that I'd like to do. And it's I'd like to offer an, an op- opportunity or, or offer um, an option here to write for you guys. And I know that you guys have a lot of pros, but that's not what I'm offering. I'm actually offering the opposite. I'm after offering something from the people who are not quite pros, but are a little bit you know around the above average. You have a lot of professionals out there who are telling you you know how to increase your skill set by like one percent 
because you've already like you've already won this major thing like how do you win the pro tour like no like 99% of the people consuming this content are never going to win uh, a major event that's just the truth of it but what about the people who want to or at least want to place like there's not much content out there that appeals to the above average gamer though the person who wants to go from casual to competitive that 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 whole sphere of content is just relatively i don't want to say relatively untouched but it's not been explored at least to a degree that I feel that when I wanted to do these things, there was nothing really out there for me to dive into and say like, wow, okay, this is this is how you can practice without a team. Or this is how you deal with the, the mental fatigue of practicing or going to events and failing all the time. Like, how do you deal with that? You know, so when I approached Channel Fireball, they were exceptionally receptive to the fact that they're like, damn right, like these are really good things. So I understand that the professional out there is not going to get a, a lick out of what I write because it's not for them. It's for everyone else. It's my content is for the people who were like me, who were good at cards, who have experience, but never won anything or never even top aided. And they're kind of spinning their wheels and wondering what those problems is uh, problems are so for me the content is very much my own experiences that i've like i've been playing card games like i mentioned for like 24 years i've been there i've done that except won the big one and i'm still striving i would love to win a calling but um you know at least in, in my own endeavors i've moved along to the point where i i i top aided all these pro quests you know so like that's good for me like i feel like i've, I've i top aided three or five pro quests in this season and split a split a um, a finish with somebody at one of them, and that's awesome for me. And I wanted to be able to write some of those experiences and and relate to the players who you know who go who go four and two at a pro quest and don't get who and place like fifteenth or six or thirteenth or, or whatever. And I meet these people all the time. They they're not going to get anything out of reading an article that says you know you should be playing three Spinal Crushes instead of two. That's not going to help them. That's not going to do anything for them. That's not going to really do anything. They're going to change the cards, go to the tournament, and go four and two again. That's not going to do anything for them. But what they're going to need is they have the skill set. They can clearly win. They've gone four and two. But maybe things like misplays really dictate how the rest of the day goes. An early loss is just going to completely derail them or or things along those those lines. Or maybe they don't have a testing team and they just don't know how to improve on their own. That's the kind of content that I, I write. So um, most recently, I had an article out. It's a five-part series. The first part came out, uh, I believe, uh, late last night slash this morning, being the 24th of March for LSS on FabTCG.com. And it's about going from casual to competitive that shift of gears of going from an armory to trying to win a skirmish or a pro quest or you know or, or anything along those lines i did get a chance to read that article today and i, I loved your thoughts in a, a lot of the ways because i i class myself as you know one of those aspiring with hopeful for the pro scene but i by no means do i i i mean to compare myself to say like the Tarek patel is the matt rogers or anything like that is a lot of what you what you talked about reminded me of the the, the path i'm kind of on right now and reminded me why i'm on that path and i i thought it was such a good inspiration piece for anybody who is thinking about getting on that path you're, you're very blunt about the fact that it's not going to be easy but nothing worth having is. And if you put in the work and you 
you you commit yourself you you can uh, achieve great things whether somebody reads that article and they take inspiration from it for for flesh and blood or something else entirely um you you spoke a lot of truth in that article yeah it was very well written well one thing that i wanted to just touch upon in that article is the fact that it's difficult for the average player to find any commonalities with the people who win these major tournaments but you can find it and there is something that you can take out of it it's not like you can just they're not waking up every morning and injecting skill into their veins and going to a tournament. There's 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 elements that everybody can can dig into that they need to also realize is that it may seem like a daunting task, but the one thing that everybody has access to is hard work. And yeah. that is the one thing. And though the duration of that hard work and the opportunities may vary, the common variable that the that the world champion and and you know you know johnny x2 at the armory is that has access to is the ability to work hard and want it so if you've got that you've got you've got the jet fuel it's just a matter of flicking the switch and getting going you know the runway might look different the top speed might look different but the objective of just taking flight is there and you've got the tools to do it and that's what i want to really drive home and i'm glad that you appreciate the article because it is written for the non-champions. It's not written for top eighters at a calling. It's written for everyone else. Yeah, no, and you nailed the hammer on the head with that one. Uh, so kudos to you. Thank you. What comes next for Flake? <laughs> what comes next for Flake uh, is a good question. Um, there's a frozen pizza that's calling my name, but uh, <laughs> well, that is the most immediate... Here. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, that's not what I mean. I'm just saying, like, that's usually my uh, that's usually my late evening. Uh, I, I eat very late. I wake up and I I just you know smash coffee until about three or four p.m. And that's usually the first time I eat is around four p.m. So I usually eat again late into the day, and I love it. It's like my favorite thing to just sit, watch a movie, relax, and have whatever the hell I'm eating. Um, what's next for Flake, though? Frankly, um, uh, that I can talk about, I guess. There's uh, ProQuest, I believe. Um, you know, it hasn't been announced, and it hasn't. Nothing's been finalized or whatnot. But I'm very confident that they'll they'll call me to to do the casting for that. I, again, nothing's nothing set in stone, but it's it's one of those things where the wheels are in motion, and and it's a matter of um, hoping and praying that you know uh, they like me enough to say, hey, we want we want your big stupid mouth and your Star Wars references at the Pro Tour. So <laughs> that's. That's what's next. The, the the podcast is still ongoing, and it's still very, uh, very uh, awesome for me to be able to talk to the wonderful people in the community, and writing more writing, and 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 it's really reignited my passion for that that particular medium uh, because I kind of let the the writing aspect of my life kind of just lay dormant, and once I wrote my first CFB article, which was about dealing with uh, how to deal with misplays. Um, the next one just flowed, you know, so smoothly and so easily. And then LSS essentially reached out and say, Hey, we really liked your articles about, um, about, you know, appealing to the casual to a, to average player. Can you do that for us? And I was like, let's do it. So more, more articles for sure. And, uh, hopefully another, another, uh, casting gig at pro tour. And if that doesn't fall out, uh, if that, <laughs> if that falls apart, uh, I will be at every single skirmish in ProQuest to try to, you know, get to that that level that I want to be, which is I want to be able to uh, to to dance with the best and and uh, 
we'll see how that goes. No, that's that's awesome to hear. You're certainly on the right path right now. And uh, the fact that you're able to say you have things you're not allowed to talk about, that shows that you're uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're you're heading in the right direction. And it's uh, it's exciting to see. Can you give us anything about those? Just even just a little nibble Any, of something. Just a little bit. I will say this. All the talk and the, the 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 sparkle and shine that James White tries to drop on Pro Tour New Jersey isn't without substance. It is going to be a big deal. I don't know too many details. I know some of which I cannot speak. However, I will say that it is going to be. It's kind of like the. It's kind of like the the. It's going to sort of be the equivalent of like LSS is like you know, that gunslinger that kicks down the saloon doors and everyone turns around and says, oh, this guy means business. That's kind of what Flesh and Blood is looking to do at that at that event. And um, if you can be there, holy hell, be there. Be there, be there, be there. If not, pay attention. It's it's going to be it's going to be pretty sweet. Oh, I'm certainly excited for it. Um, I know I'll be I, I'm lucky enough to have a uh... A qualification and Pat, are you? I think you said you're planning on attending as well, right? I'm looking at a qualification. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I'll be. I I will 100%. be. I uh, I am going to try and take advantage of the 400 best players in the world not playing in the calling and seeing what I can do with that. Uh, so I'll I'll be I'll be there. Flake, thank you so much for joining us here tonight really cool to be able to hear some of your insights hear a little bit more about your origin story and get your perspective on uh on where where the game's at yeah i just can't thank you enough before we let you go is there anything you want to to plug uh i i just want to also just say that there is so much there's so much love out there in this community and i'm i've always been a, a you know big proponent of of you know of just pushing that that those good vibes and whatever and the fact that that like this podcast so many other podcasts out there you guys keep doing what you're doing because it is just so important to not not from just the perspective of people just want to hear about the meta but just the conversations and the relationships that are being developed in this community are immense it's huge and i i love I love seeing those things develop. I love listening to other podcasts. I love seeing how other parts of the community, there's no animosity. It's, you know, there's, it's everybody's, everybody's friends, whether it's myself with you guys or, 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 you know, your, you guys with other podcasts or other bits of community, you know, everybody has their, their ventures and everyone has the things that they want to, to do and putting in, putting in immensely hard work into these, to these elements. And it, it just, it, like it fills my heart with a lot of hope and joy for this this game because there isn't that that kind of co- it's not a competition it's a rising tide ra- tide raises all ships kind of scenario and i i want to thank you guys for doing what you do because it's incredibly important so you guys need to give yourselves a pat on the back because it's it's huge and and so that that's awesome to see uh for myself i mean any pluggables would be uh, the instant speed podcast on um uh twitch sorry not twitch oh my god Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I started streaming Gwent again recently after a, a little hi- hiatus, but twitch.tv slash watchflake is where I stream, which cool. it, it comes in clips and phrases uh, in terms of when I do that, but most recently I've been doing it a little bit more often. YouTube.com slash 983media is the, the, the 
production company and the media company that that basically produces all of my content, such as Instant Speed, such as In Response, such as uh, the Versus series, uh, things like that. So you can go check out the Instant Speed podcast there, as well as like Spotify, Apple Pods, Google Pods, all that other nonsense. But uh, yeah, Twitter at Watch Flake or Instant Speed Pod on Twitter. And uh, yeah, dude, reach out. I I answer essentially every DM I get, unless it's it's absolute obscenity and nonsense. In which case, I do answer it, but I make you look like a doofus. Um, <laughs> I answer every DM I get. That is a fact. I I don't ignore anybody because nobody deserves to be ignored. Everyone's got a story, so I like to hear it. Uh, reach out. I you know you might not like what I have to say, but at the end of the day, I, you're going to get a response. So. Yeah, cheers to everybody listening. You guys rock. Awesome. Uh, before we wrap up quickly on our end, we've got a couple of plugs as well. You can, as always, you can catch us anywhere. Podcasts are streamed, Spotify, Apple Music, what have you, or I should say Apple Podcasts. We are on Twitter. Uh, I am at FontuleryTCG. Uh, Pat is at Pat Smash Good, and we are also at The Combat Chain. And I believe, uh, Flake, you're at Watch Flake. That's correct, because there was a once upon a so some some jerk has been holding the the flake moniker on Twitter, on Twitch, on everything, and I just cannot seem to lock that thing down. I've inquired with everybody, so it's at Watch Flake, which is essentially like a like an instruction. Watch. You got to find that guy. Got to find I, him, dude. I like hasn't tweeted in like a decade. The Twitch stream that they're doing that hasn't had anything. It has like a two followers and hasn't done anything. And et- whatever, it's a whole. Other we, got, we got an eminent domain on on cyberspace here. Adam, <laughs> I do have uh, I do have I have one plug. Uh, I have lined up my next guest for the uh, next episode of Fatigued Parents Playing Flesh and Blood, and I am going to have the one and only Max Thomas uh, coming on to the program. We're going to record. Uh, tomorrow night so i'm happy to have mr thomas coming on uh, so that is my little my little thing right there our outro here flake we're gonna try to get you in on this with us so when we outro oh, God. oh boy the, the yeah we we gotta get flake in on it when we outro i'm gonna say until next week and then together we're all gonna say we're closing the combat chain I'm in. All right. Until next week, we're closing. We're closing, closing the combat chain. Love it. <laughs> Love you it. know that what? Was... That's better, better than some others. That was good. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>